Welcome to SaaS Backstage. I'm your host Nishant Goel and with co-host Vishal Rewari on this podcast we go behind the curtains talking to people who built and grew SaaS companies from ground up. Today our guest is Clement Kao, founder of Product Teacher, a product management education company boasting of a wide student base across top companies. He is also the co-founder of Product HQ which boasts of world's first and largest Slack community for product managers. He's a meticulous person who answers the questions with in-depth analysis and analogies to help you understand concepts with ease. And an e-gamer. Yes, finally someone who knows how to have fun online. Being in a SaaS company, you should always expect the unexpected and look for ways to grow faster and stronger. And it's always better to learn from others who have faced the problems and came out victorious. than to brute force your way through the challenge so let's jump into today's episode hi clement welcome to sas backstage thank you for joining with us today if you can like talk about your journey till the now i know you have seen a lot since 2009 lots of different products lots of different uh, teams that you have worked with but if you would like to like have a brief like how has been your journey like so that that can get it us into the ease of of the podcast and and yeah, yeah, yeah. start here yeah. said so, yeah um i think something that people find really interesting is that i actually didn't start my career as a product manager I actually started as a consultant and so like some people are very interested in that but then other people just want to hear like oh like you've been a product manager and then that's how you started all of this like product management education and teaching stuff so in terms of product teacher um one of the things that i noticed when i was working as a principal product manager and a group product manager at a variety of startups is that something that happens really frequently is people will kind of get thrown into the deep end of product management and there's not a lot of support for them in terms of being able to grow their careers right kind of a lot of the focus is how do we launch the next set of products how do we go after the next set of users and customers but many times kind of executive teams don't necessarily have the time or the resources to be able to train up the product managers right and so something that i've been doing kind of like for fun is helping people over the weekends during late nights in terms of hey like this is how you tackle this particular problem that you're seeing at work and i started to question myself why don't i turn this into something that's full time right i can help so many more people rather than just waiting for people to come to me on a one off inbound basis so that's really what motivated me to start product teacher is really to be able to help people from all time zones all geographies all industries to be able to succeed in product management right and so um with that right i've been able to help people in terms of you know building better resumes building better interviews but also having a lot more on the job skills right kind of how do you design a pod or how do you hold other people accountable or like how do you internationalize a product or how do you run a debate like kind of covering all the different hard skills and soft skills that people might have and so to kind of tie this back to my own journey into product management The reason why I care so much is because when I first got started, I was not even close to a product manager. Um when I graduated from college, I was a biologist and I knew nothing about software or coding or um just engineering or anything, right? Like I just did not know the basics about software at all. I literally did not know what an API was, what a database was, what like a graphical user interface was. I just straight up knew nothing. And so when I first got my self started in the working world, I was a management consultant. Right? I was helping uh these large Fortune 500 businesses figure out how do we identify whether some initiative that we're doing is actually better 
than if we didn't do it at all, right? Kind of A-B testing, but at like a big company level. And in doing so, like one of the things that happened, no, 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 seriously, like you, you, would, you would see, like, for example. That is the best um, definition of A-B testing I have seen. <laughs> Management consulting is A-B testing, like, if you do it, if you don't do it. So, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Just trying to okay. grasp it. <laughs> you have changed the definition of A-B testing for, for and management consulting. <laughs> the entire team of like millions of management consultants we are doing A-B testing. That's it. <laughs> and they can't even deny it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, one of the things that like happened is um, one of the things that happened is in terms of us actually providing this consulting, we actually had um, the software that we provided to companies basically to figure out, um, hey, like how can we use data to actually prove it? Right? So kind of looking at cash register data and being able to map out like, hey, these are the kinds of stores that are performing better and here are the ones that are performing worse due to this initiative, right? So basically being able to segment out your results. Um, and so um, that company applied predictive technologies is now acquired by MasterCard. And so one of the things that happened a lot is that, the software was built by PhD statisticians as it should be, right? Because this is like very, very, you know, deep, detailed analytics. But the problem is that on the other side of the house, a lot of the users were more like, you know, operations analysts, um, finance analysts, marketing analysts. And so they don't know what like PhD statistics level looks like. And so the software is very, very hard to use. And so basically I spent, you know, three to four hours every single day, right? So like literally half a work week helping people through tech support. No, like that's not how you set up this like test. Like, no, that's not what the software is supposed to do. No, you want to do it this way instead. And so I figured this is kind of weird that I'm spending all this time doing it manually when instead we could just have the software handle all of these issues, right? And so that's when I became a user researcher on accident. Um, where basically I started taking kind of all of these um, customer complaints and I started to synthesize them and hand them off to my own product engineering team hey, like this person, they ran this analysis, they hit this issue, this friction, and here are some ways in which we could potentially make it better. Right? And so that's how I became kind of this informal user researcher. And through there, right, I was then hired by a real estate company to like actually be a legitimate UX researcher, right? basically trying to figure out what are the different pain points for this particular segment and how can we make them succeed? Right? And so you'll notice still, I still haven't become a product manager yet. Like I'm just still trying to understand who are the users and like what are they dealing with? And from there, we found this like really exciting segment to go after. Um, but my company just wanted to move on. Like they just wanted to continue doing what they'd already been doing, kind of shelf this research. And I said, I don't want to do that, right? Like we learned about all these people with all these pain points and I think we can actually solve it, right? I think we can actually go and drive value for it. And so that's when I put back on my management consulting hat and I started to pitch all of my executives on, hey, like this is what like the competitive landscape looks like. Here are all the different things that we could be doing instead. Here's why we should be going after this user segment. Right. And so bringing this like product analytics lens to the table, as well as kind of this more like strategy lens to convince them that like we should go ship this business for these users that we've done this exploratory research on, because I really believe that we can help them. And I eventually succeeded. Like it took lots and lots of teeth pulling. Right. But eventually I convinced them we should ship this. And so at that point in time, right, then I had a decision. OK, we've now got this new business that Clemens convinced us to go ship. Um, and current product managers, does anyone want to go run this initiative? And they all said, heck no, we're busy. We're running the other business. Right? So like, okay, we can't reuse any of our existing talent. But 
if we're going to go and hire another product manager outside the company, oh man, it's going to take forever, right? Because then we have to go interview them. Then we have to teach them about these users and teach them about our company. That seems expensive and difficult. But we have this user researcher who convinced us to go do all of this stuff. Why don't we just turn him into a product manager? And so the funny thing, and I remember this super clearly, my CEO called me into his office and he said, Clement, we're turning you into a product manager. And I resisted so much. Like I was just complaining the whole time. No, like you should not make me a product manager because I don't know how to design. I don't know how to code. I don't know any of this stuff that you're telling me about. You're going to like, you're going to wind up killing this initiative because you're putting the wrong person into the wrong seat, right? And he said, no, Clement, I believe in you. Like I, I'm pretty sure you're gonna be able to figure it out because you're the one who convinced us to go do all of this stuff. And so he and I worked it out. Eventually it was just, oh, I'm not super comfortable with maybe the engineering side of the house. We're like, what? does it mean when we've got a staging environment, right? Like, what does it mean when we need to go do a rollback, right? Like all of these different things that like I straight up did not know. And I also didn't know anything about like design, right? Like what is a UX flow? And like, what are the different tools that we're using, right? And like, what are the different friction points? And so he basically said, okay, you're going to shadow engineers for a week. You're going to shadow designers for a week. And then you're a product manager, best of luck, right? So that's what we did. And I got thrown into the deep end. And so I will honestly say that those first six months were incredibly, incredibly difficult, but very, very rewarding, right? Like I got to learn everything kind of from the ground up, like really trying to understand um, engineers and really understand designers. And I brought this like UX research lens to it, right? really asking them, okay, but why are you doing the thing that you're doing, right? Like how can a product manager help you do the best work that you can? And so because of that, I was able to learn a lot about the fundamentals of product management in a way that you don't typically get like in school or in a way that you don't typically get on the job. So I was very lucky to have been a user researcher before and to bring that into product management and truly understand here are the ways in which we can really help designers and engineers do their best possible work so that we can provide the most value for customers and then use that to provide the most value for the business. So it's like, I got very, very lucky. And so it's because I had this really rough, really winding journey into product that I really wanna make sure that people are able to succeed, which is why I spend so much time thinking about and writing about and speaking about product management because I really do think that it is a really impactful role to be in. You get to help engineers and designers do their best work. You get to help business counterparts do their best work. You get to solve your customers' pains and their customers' pains. And that's just really, really cool. Um, so yeah, so I've been really, really lucky. Um, I realized that that was kind of a long intro, so feel free to cut that up however you want. Uh, but that's just how I wound up in the place that I am. So that should provide some context into why I'm doing what I'm doing and the lens that I'm bringing to the table. Well, uh, first, it was well detailed and put into a very well-knit story. And second, you took away my question. I was about to ask you, you know, why did you get into product management after studying biology? <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. not even close to the same. Yeah. 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 All right. So how would you explain product retention to a five-year-old kid? When I think about myself as a five-year-old kid, I'm always thinking about the toys that I play. And so the way that I would talk about it is, hey, Clement, uh, think about your favorite toy, right? That favorite toy that you've got, you're playing with it all the time because you like it a lot. And so that favorite toy that you've got, um, that favorite toy is retaining you. It's good at retention because you keep coming back to play with that favorite toy, right? And Clement, I know that you're a spoiled little kid. You have all these other toys too, right? And a lot of these other toys, you played with them before, but then you stopped, right? And a lot of the time you stopped because it wasn't fun anymore or it wasn't really doing something that you wanted it to go do. And so these toys that you stopped playing with, they're not good at retention, right? You're not coming back to play with them. And so retention basically means, you know, are you coming back to continue to play with this toy, to continue to use this thing? 
And so retention is really, really important for the people who make these toys because they want you to like the toys, right? If you like the toy, then you're going to maybe buy another toy from them. Right? And so that's why there are so many companies that are really focused on making things that people like, because if people like them, then you're going to keep coming back to it. And if people don't like it, then you won't come back. Right? So it's all about um, what are the things that make your favorite toy the favorite and how can we make more toys that can continue to you know, keep your attention and make you really happy to play with them. Thank you. To add a different twist to the question. So with a toy, the equation brings down to whether the child likes it and whether the toy is sturdy enough to survive how the child is playing with it. Yeah. How is that relevant to SaaS products? Yeah. Um, so in terms of how that's relevant to SaaS products, right? When we think about the kinds of tools and the products that we use in our day-to-day lives, we need to remember, right, that a SaaS product is going to change someone's behavior. It's changing their patterns and their habits. And so if you've created a product that has a lot of these different capabilities, but is really hard to adopt or something that people are just struggling to go use, they're probably not going to replace the way that they were doing things in the past, right? It's not going to become their new favorite toy because they already have something else that they enjoyed using more before. And so when we think about SaaS products, if we want to have our products be sticky, if we want them to retain, we need to not just think about what are the capabilities in this product, but also what are the habits and behaviors that we're displacing, right? How do we help to change people's behavior for the better, right? And then help them to keep those behaviors on our product rather than leaving for a different product. So that's how I kind of connect these two things together is how do we displace those old habits? So then that way they can use the better habits that we've crafted, that we have um, implemented and facilitated through our own SaaS products. So a big part of retention is actually getting them on board. Right, exactly. And uh, somehow in hindsight, it is also a part of making onboarding on a different platform somewhat difficult. So they would rather prefer to stay than to learn something new. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Why is, uh, I mean, according to you, like, why is retention so hard? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, So the reason why retention is hard, and not just hard, but getting harder and harder these days, is because customer needs are evolving a lot faster than they used to. And on top of that, not just customer needs are evolving faster, but the options that they have are so much more than there used to be because software is so much easier than it used to be to build. Like kind of, if you wanted to go host your software in the long, long ago past, right? You had to have your own dedicated server racks, right? You had to have all of these different tools that now today you can access very easily. Right? And so because the barrier to entry in terms of creating software is so much lower, it's so much easier for customers to switch away. And because it's easier for them to switch away, their needs grow faster and faster. Right? And so the reason why retention is hard is because Many times people are thinking about retention as a point in time, right? Oh, did I keep them this month? But they're not really thinking about the future of that user in their journey, right? Because as soon as they succeed on your product, they will now unlock a new need. They want to figure out what comes next, right? What can I do even more with this product? And if your product doesn't support that, they're going to start looking for alternatives, right? Because now they've got the initial need met. Well, now they've unlocked a new need. How do you solve for that? And then as soon as they fail on your product, they're going to switch away, right? And so... The key thing about products in terms of driving retention is that a product needs to evolve alongside its users as they succeed, right? So just because you've gotten them to be able to succeed in the first place, doesn't mean that they're necessarily retained because now you've unlocked a whole new set of pain points that they didn't have before, right? Because they are no longer blocked. Does your product solve that? And if it doesn't solve that, they're going to start looking for solutions to solve that, right? So you have, you kind of have this 
continued race, right? Where as you solve more problems, customers will come to you with more and more problems, right? And so if you cannot continue to proactively solve those problems for them, they're going to start to look for alternatives. And we shouldn't blame them for that, right? Because people want to be able to do the tasks and move forward in their lives as much as they can. And so retention is getting harder, right? Not because people are less loyal necessarily, but because there's so many more options out there. And so it's on us as the product creators to really think ahead in terms of not just how do we solve someone's pain today, but how do we then solve their next pain tomorrow? Okay. Thank you for, for that answer. I, I mean, <laughs> that was so different from, from what, yeah. what we thought and what we do that, but, but thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yes, it was totally different perspective. This is how you're weaving in retention with the user journey and the process of how their uh, usage pattern changes when you provide them a new solution and how with every new solution also comes a new set of challenges that needs to be addressed. Many times how people address situations is, okay, this is the challenge. We are facing a challenge. Let's provide a solution to that challenge. Uh, people rarely uh, talk about what challenge will that solution pose. And that's a very uh, beautiful perspective that you have brought in. So now that you're weaving in a user journey and onboarding and retention altogether, I'm curious, what should be the scope of person in charge of retention or who should be in charge of retention in an organization? Yeah, great question. Um, so I know this answer is not going to be popular with everyone, unfortunately, but really the ultimate answer is that retention is everyone's job, right? Because when we think about it, right, the end goal of any business is to capture value, but you cannot capture value until you first created value for your customers. If your customers don't have value from you, then they don't want to give you value, right? So it's all about how do we create value for them, not just in the short term, but also in the long run. And so that means that when it comes to retention, right, the very front of that funnel, sales and marketing, just getting people aware, that's part of retention, right? Because we need people to know that, hey, this is the promise that we're setting you up for, and that's why you should use us. But then also, as we continue to evolve out more and more offerings, and as we continue to build out that portfolio, sales and marketing still has a role to play in terms of keeping our current customer base engaged, right? So sales and marketing is very much a part of that. Customer success and customer support, right? In terms of making sure that that on, ongoing uh, customer experience is really all the way up to the bar that you expect it to be. They also have a really deep role to play, right? Like they need to make sure that they're not just understanding customer expectations, but they're also funneling that back into sales and marketing in terms of making sure that we're positioning things correctly, as well as product design and engineering, right? Because we need to make sure that we're building, again, not just for people's current pains, but also the pains that they will have as soon as we solve their pains, right? So what are the pains that they're gonna have in the future, as well as what are the challenges that they're gonna face when they start to onboard onto our product, right? And then it's not even just product design and engineering, even the finance team, the deal desk team, they're also responsible for retention, right? Because they also need to think through how do we structure the way that people you know, stick with our product in the long run, right? In terms of pricing and charging so that that way our incentives are aligned, right? We don't want to wind up in a situation where we're charging customers more than the value that they get out of our product because we're charging them more than that, they're going to want to leave, right? And if we're charging them less than that, then they'll want to stay. But of course, on the flip side, we need to make sure that our company is sustainable. Right? And so ultimately, it's everyone's job that retention happens. And so you have kind of this very diffuse view of the customer from end to end. I would say, Everyone is partially responsible for it, but really it's ultimately up to the leadership team to really think about who are the customers that we truly care about retaining over the long run 
And how do we make sure that we're gearing up everyone for success across all the different functions so that the customer experiences one single company experience from start to finish? Wow, that's so not what we were expecting. You're, you're bringing in a totally different perspective on this. Earlier, it was like, okay, there's no one responsible for retention. Some of the companies that are taking point on this, they have a thought of, let's bring someone in for retention, you know. Let's have someone, one person in a team of thousand who understands what retention is and maybe he will guide and manage the system. And uh, now this answer says that, no, you should train everyone for it. At least a couple of people in every department, every vertical should have an idea of what retention is because that is the only way everything can run in synergy. And that makes so much more sense now because an engineering team can understand what challenges people are facing a lot more than, um, let's say, onboarding team would or uh, it's it's a cross-functional yeah. activity and should be um, yeah. used as such, should be dealt with accordingly. That's uh, very relevant. So, okay, that makes me think, you know, how the person responsible for retention uh, requirement has evolved. How do you think retention itself has evolved over time? The requirement for retention came up and grew in past so, 10 years. Yeah. So just in terms of thinking about retention over time, right? I think one of the things that we're generally seeing is that because, you know, now you have all of these offerings as a service, right? Kind of in the past, people would just buy a thing, they would pay everything up front. And then basically, if they succeeded, great. If they didn't succeed, then they would return it or complain, etc. Right? But now there are so many more ways for people to be using success based pricing, which is all about retention. Right? And so as consumers and businesses are getting really used to a more of a pay-as-you-go model instead of all the costs up front, now we need to think about, okay, well, how do we actually make retention a core of the entire company? Right? Because again, like that's how we're monetizing over time. And we need to make sure that that customer value is aligned with the company value that we're getting from them. And so a really good example is video games, right? So um, for all the gamers for this particular podcast, right, um, you might remember a time like maybe you would pay um, $60 or $80 up front and you would just play that on your console. But you're starting to see that a lot of these video games are starting to become very hit or miss because you buy it, you play it, and you're just saying, eh, this isn't really what I wanted. And so you stop purchasing from that developer right? because it's, this isn't meeting my expectations. But now what we see is that a lot of the most successful gaming companies are actually freemium, right? They provide you the base product for free. You say, wow, this is really, really fun. I really enjoy it. And if I want to get even more value out of it, I can pay for it, right? I can buy these subscriptions. I can upsell myself in terms of getting more value from this product. Right? And so we see that when people are paying for the value that they're getting, they tend to stick around longer, right? They tend to be a lot more loyal and they tend to feel a lot better compensated, right? They feel a lot happier in terms of being in this particular relationship with this company. Right? And so membership at, at scale, right, is really, really valuable because when you start to get this recurring revenue that's happening, instead of getting just, you know, spikes in time where people are paying you upfront, when you get this recurring revenue, you can now start to sustainably invest this revenue back into customer experiences and back into the product. And so here in the United States, right, like we've got um, grocery stores like Costco that charge these membership fees, and then they take these membership fees and put it back into, right, negotiating the best possible prices for consumers and making sure that that consumer experience is amazing. You have doctor's offices like One Medical, where they're really focusing on how do we provide the best patient experience possible? And they do that by charging this annual membership fee. So then that way they can take that and invest it over and over into technology and into experiences where it's so much better than just, you know, 
going to a doctor's appointment, right? Struggling to go find a time on someone's calendar and then feeling very misaligned when they charge you for everything, like because of the way that one medical is structured where you know that, hey, I'm gonna be paying for this membership and in return, I'm getting a much better experience. That has really changed the playing field in the field of medicine. And so we see that vertical by vertical, retention and membership are starting to change the way that customers expect to be served. And that ultimately changes the way that we need to think about how are we building products and services and experiences, not just from the front lines, but all the way up to the executive level in terms of how we think about what makes our company stand out and provide the best possible experience. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, what what are the good examples that you have seen or implemented in the SaaS company of like good retention or a good stickiness that, that you have seen personally because you have so much experience and you have seen so many products. So what is a good example that comes out that, okay, I never thought of that, but this, this is making it uh, interesting. So anything that stood out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for me, whenever I think about, you know, the best, the best players in SaaS that are driving retention, the one that I always go back to is Salesforce. Right? So Salesforce is theoretically a customer relationship management system. It's a CRM. It helps you track leads and all the way through the conversion. But they're not just that. Like They're actually an ecosystem. Right? They're a platform where all of these other companies can provide their offerings on top of it. And so that's actually really, really powerful because one of the things I mentioned earlier on is we need to evolve alongside our customers. Right. The really great thing about customers, which Jeff Bezos at Amazon said, right, is customers are con- are um, divinely discontent. Right. It means that they're always going to be coming to you with more and more that you can help them with. Right. And so the thing that Salesforce realized is we can't solve everyone's pains all at once. We just don't have that kind of bandwidth. But if we can open ourselves up and let other people build on top of us to go solve these customer pains, then we can continue to grow with our customers and all of these additional partners on our platform, they can also grow with their customers. And so the really powerful thing about the Salesforce ecosystem is that because they have all these different integrations, as you, the customer of Salesforce, continue to grow, you will always have solutions for whatever it is that you're trying to tackle. And so um, a lot of times when a company jumps onto Salesforce, they basically never get off of Salesforce because there's so much more that they can handle, right? And that applies for a lot of different verticals, right? Like whether you're running a call center, whether you are tackling something in real estate, whether you're tackling something in fintech, no matter what kind of industry application you're in, once you get on Salesforce, you typically don't get off because it keeps growing and evolving with you, right? So it's, it's kind of sticky there. And so really the key, right, in terms of Salesforce being able to do that, right? I think one of the things that people immediately start thinking of whenever I say, oh, Salesforce is a platform, it's an ecosystem, right? Kind of the most uh, driven product managers and the most driven business leaders will say, okay, we should be one too. But what they don't realize is you need to have a very clear initial value proposition up front to open that door, right? You first need to solve a very targeted pain before you start to offer all of these other solutions, right? I think something that happens is when companies say, we're going to be a platform first. They don't have anything deep to begin with. No pain is being solved, right? So who wants to build on that platform? Like you don't have a critical mass yet where you're deeply solving some pain and then letting other people solve the other pains that you're not able to solve. And so what I don't want people to take away from this conversation is, okay, we should try to build everything ourselves. We should be a platform. It's not about that. It's focus really deeply on the thing that you can help your customers with the most but leave the door open where in the future you'll integrate in with other kind of best of class solutions. So then that way kind of customers can continue to grow alongside you 
by sticking within your particular ecosystem. And so that's really the, the takeaway that I want people to have when they're thinking about Salesforce as a retention engine. They're really using this ecosystem of partners to help customers grow over time, but they can only do so because their CRM capabilities were uh, kind of world-defining at the time and they continue to invest there. And then they open the door to all these other integrators. Makes sense, makes sense. All right. So that was a lot. Yes, Salesforce. Salesforce is one of the pioneers in uh, SaaS and a case study for retention, particularly given they are still growing in two digits, even at this uh, stage being a Fortune 500 company, they are probably the only one growing at two digits. So, all right, now to end with, um, as a product manager, someone who learned by themselves through an unconventional path, what's your advice to someone who wants to be a product manager on how they should start out for this career path? Yeah, for sure. And so I would say, you know, not even just if you're a product manager, if you're someone who wants to get into tech or if you're someone who wants to start tackling stats, there's one key piece of advice that I give everyone. And here's that advice. A company can only capture value when they create value for other people. Right? And so I think a lot of the time people begin from the premise of, I want something, right? like I want to be a product manager or I want to earn money. And so they really think about, okay, what are the things that I can do for me? But they forget that other people aren't looking for you to become a PM or for you to get into tech or for you to build a SaaS product. They're looking to get some pain solved. And so when you look from the other person's eyes, what are their pains and how can I step in and solve that pain for them? Then they're more than happy to help you out, right? They want you to succeed because if you succeed, they're going to succeed. Right? And so it's all about looking from other people's eyes, right? really looking at how do we create value for others? And then by creating that value, they're willing to give us back that value. Right? So if you're a product manager looking to break into product, it's all about thinking about for some company that I want to join, what's the pain that they have, right? What are the things that they wish someone could help them out with? And how do I show them that I can solve that pain, right? It's not so much, how do I write the best resume for myself or how do I write the best cover letter for myself? It's not that, right? It's not about me, 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 me. It's about that company. What is that company struggling with? And how do I show them that I can solve that for them? And then similarly, right, if we're thinking about how do I build a SaaS product that people are going to like pay me for, right? Well, it's not about how do I price my product? It's not about what is my feature set? It's who am I trying to help? And what are the things that they're struggling with? And can I show them that I can help them with this? And if I can, then they want me to succeed, right? Because if they no longer had my offering, if they no longer had my product, they would fall backwards. Their life would be so much more miserable because now they've lost this solution to their pain, right? So they want to see you succeed, right? So it's all about who am I helping and what is it that they really need? And then demonstrating that I'm the best person to go solve that for you by proving it, by demonstrating it. Right? And so I think that's one of the reasons why for a lot of different SaaS products, right? There's this uh, particular concept called product-led growth that's right? all about using the product to drive onboarding and retention and sales, et cetera. And you see that a lot of the time, it's all about these self-serve, you know, freemium demos or like limited capability to show people that you can solve their pain, right? You want to prove that you can actually solve it. And then when they say, oh my gosh, this is the thing that I needed. I didn't know I needed it and I can prove that I need it and it's helping. Then they're going to want to figure out, okay, how can I buy this, right? How can I get more from this particular provider? Right? So it's all about looking from the other person's eyes. What are the things that they're struggling with? And how do we show them that we can solve that pain? Because if we can, then they're going to want to help us succeed. Because by us succeeding, they're going to succeed. Right? So it's all about uh, solving pains for others. This is really the advice I to give. Thank you. Clement, there's one question that I want to ask if you like. <laughs> sure. The question is, uh, 
as a SaaS company, what indicators should I look at to know that there is a retention problem and how do I approach it? Yeah, great question. So when we think about retention, right, kind of one of the key things to remember about retention, that's a lagging indicator, right? Like by the time you see a retention problem, it is already a little bit too late, right? Those people have already left. And so that's very, very problematic. But going all the way back to what I just mentioned, right? We need to think about how do we solve pain for others? And so we can start noticing that we're not repeatedly solving pain for others by looking at uh, kind of usage statistics, not so much at a high level total usage, but rather looking at repeat usage, right? Because again, it's all about how do we replace people's past behaviors with new, better behaviors within our product? Right? So what we really want to do is we want to look at um, something that is called the power user curve. So this is something that Andrew Chen and Lee Jin uh, pull together, which is basically within, let's say, like a month, right? you have 30 days, and you want to plot out for each of your different users, how many days did they use a key piece of your product in that month? So I'm not saying just logins, right? Like logins is way too surface level. We want to look at like, what is the key workflow that your product is supposed to do, right? So again, for Salesforce, right? Like maybe the key workflow is create a lead, right? Like logins are not deep enough to provide that value, but creating a lead is deep enough. And so how many days in a month did you log in and create a lead? And if you're saying that this person's coming in, you know, 20 days every month, they're probably really sticky, right? But if you see that people only come in once a month or even less than once a month, you're probably going to lose them, right? So it's all about looking at, where do we currently have retention and where do we not have it? Not so much in terms of looking at people actually paying for it in terms of the contract value, right? But actually looking at user activity, right? When we start seeing people stop using our product, right? when we see that they're no longer coming back, that's when we need to engage immediately. Right? So it's all about repeat usage. Repeat usage implies that people are actually adopting. And if people are only using it once and then they never come back, they probably haven't actually adopted it. And so they're probably not going to retain it. And so again, it kind of goes all the way back to that initial analogy that I mentioned. How do you know if a toy is a child's favorite? You know if they keep coming back and playing with it, right? And so similarly, how do you know if your product's going to retain? You know if your users, even if the users aren't the ones who are paying, right? Someone else in the finance department is paying. If the users keep coming back and using it, then the finance department's more than happy to pay. And if people aren't using it, the finance department's probably going to say, we need to terminate this contract and soon. Right? So it's all about getting that repeat customer usage, and then really diving into, right, breaking out the different segments. For the people who keep coming back, what are the things that they wish we could evolve with them on? What are the things that we can continue to provide for them? And for the people who only come in once and then drop out, we also want to talk to them, right? Hey, what was it that caused you to drop out? Like, did you not see what the value was? Was it too hard to use? Because by understanding that, we can then move them towards more uh, repeat usage. And then that ultimately leads to better retention. Got it. Got it. Thank you. That's quite descriptive and hands-on. That's an activity like people, whoever's listening, they better go out and start asking, looking at the numbers and calling the people who bounce. Why did you bounce? Yeah. All right. The next section is the outlier section. So we are going to, and so uh, uh, we're almost on time but we would like to keep it short and to the point and, and like to throw you off a little bit and see how it goes. It's okay, great when you are. Great. Clement, I have a very serious question. You know? uh, so you have been working on different things over the last 10 years. You have worked with top companies. I mean, 
I see so many top-level pick for or all the consulting companies and, and, and top-level companies on your product teacher page where, where they have like taken uh, sessions from you and they've taken your advice and everything. You have like worked with almost like hundreds of uh, product managers and helping helping them out. And so while you're working so hard and like uh, burning the midnight oil and, and thinking about like uh, how, how should I solve this product problem, did you ever thought that you would get a chance to come on our show? Great question. So, um, <laughs> great question. Um, so, I think one of, one of the things that I, I genuinely believe, right, is that the people who are creating podcasts, right, like the, the both of you are doing incredible work. Like it is so, so hard to run a podcast because there's just so much work that goes into it. And so I think, you know, I actually have the easier time here. Like I just have to show up and speak. Um, and so I know that you guys are doing a lot of work. And so something that I really think is important, right, is making sure that I am supporting by sharing the insights that I possibly can. Right? So I'm always down to do um, a podcast with folks, right, because I, I think it's really helpful, right, for people yeah. to be able to expose to different perspectives, right? So um, I definitely made time out of my schedule, right? Like, let's really make sure that this actually does happen. Um, but... To be completely honest, because right, you asked me the outlier question, right? Like, was I panicking? Yes, right? Like, did I freak out about like, am I going to have the answers in time? Absolutely, right? So um, trust me when I say I definitely needed to spend some time thinking about, okay, do I actually have useful answers here? Or am I going to say something that doesn't make any sense, right? So um, so I, I definitely wanted to make sure that I was able to come on. So again, like very, very humble to be a part of this show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and yeah, just been having a lot of fun so far. Thank you. Any awkward instance that occurred when you were on an engagement with a client or on or a product or anything that, that comes out and speaks out? So any awkward instance that, that you could share? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the things that you might have noticed, you might not have noticed, I'm not sure yet, is because I spend so much time thinking about product management, I'm not exactly a like fully functional human being. And so one of the things I can't do is I can't really talk well about sports or news or just like current events at all. And so one of the things that's always awkward, I think about just like any client engagement is the first five minutes, right? And it's just like, oh, this person seems a little bit stilted or awkward, right? Like, oh, Clement doesn't really seem like he knows what he's doing until we get into the product part, at which point I sound very, very smart. But everything before that is just like, is this guy functional? Like, is he okay? <laughs> so um, that's just something that uh, is a trade-off on my end, right? I don't really know all of the most recent movies or the most recent TV shows. And so when people are having small talk with me, it's typically very hard. Um, but I typically come alive, right? Like when we're starting to talk about product management. Um, so yeah, like, am I aware that I have put myself into this weird spot? Absolutely. Am I looking to change it? Probably not. I think most of the time it's been okay. But it's definitely awkward, right? Especially because first impressions do matter a lot. It's something that I've been blessed and cursed with in terms of enjoying product management so much that I'm not on top of my pop culture and I'm not on top of my small talk. So that's just a trade-off, yeah. Yeah. So even uh, like... This is a problem with every introvert. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so it, it's a lot of introverts have, have this problem till, till the time they. I was feeling like, okay, that's so unusual. <laughs> I'm not a product <laughs> manager. <laughs> I'm doing that. <laughs> and, then, um, uh, oh, I, I'm just going an off track, but but what I yeah, do yeah. is like what I do when I start a Zoom call is like 
I just forget the agenda and I just uh, talk about what have they been up to. And and you have no idea like how people like keep on sharing the stories and, and they were, I, I learned a lot about like a person who was called John, but he was actual name is Johnny. And then he went on to like, he was got bullied in school and everything. He was a client altogether. So he, he shared everything about, about him. And, and, huh. and if, you, if you just ask questions and it's simple things like, uh, if I pronounce your name correct, and then he said, uh, spent out like five minutes talking about like why people are not spelling my name correct and everything. So, <laughs> so I, I've seen I've seen these these small small things just to just to start a conversation oh, starters. Uh, I have. I've learned over over the time, and now I enjoy it. So now I enjoy it, like teasing people and and uh, like making fun of them. When this is, so that puts a uh, the entire pressure of of like what whatever. Totally. Yeah, and sometimes we have like the calls where there are like 40, 50 people on the on the Zoom call. So it, how do you like break the ice? I mean, <laughs> how do you even break the break the ice over there? So so we have to do do few things like. Uh, so you you can do a few things like turn on anyone's camera <laughs> just to see <laughs> because you have the zoom zoom parts you can turn on everyone's camera and see like okay that person would suddenly be you know why why my camera is on so you can just say it just to keep everyone attentive i will turn on anyone's camera during the session so everyone is like okay this guy is totally on to us <laughs> i have to like sit sit <laughs> very correctly and then do it so you, you keep keep people on on edge I have I've learned a lot over the last. It has taken me a little bit of time, but now I now I'm much more comfortable in in like just uh, getting getting that breaking that ice part and then getting getting faster to to that thing. Yeah. So yeah, you can. Sure. And one book that really helped me is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Great book. Yeah. Yes. If you if you read at it. He talks about the human psychology so much, and as product managers, we we don't get that thing. I mean, we talk about like human psychology, human psychology. Look at this thing and at the, the user resource and everything, but we actually don't use it when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to social interactions. So that that, that book also helped me like open up and and talk about uh, it. This is because at the end, it's people, right? It doesn't matter it which which time zone you are on. It's uh, if you greet someone with a smiling face and then they would suddenly come back with a smiling face and then talk about to you like whatever whatever they are going through. <laughs> so I remember Gary Vaynerchuk's one one video. Uh, like he said, if you post on social media, hey, I felt today, you would get comments on, like, hey, I also felt today. <laughs> That's how people are. I mean, you, you don't have to don't have to think so much about like how am I posting on social media and what am I doing, but you have to keep on posting. So that that was his thought process. Like treat people like people totally. and and then and you get get better at it. So yeah. So uh, let's let's get back. So if you had a choice between two superpowers being invisible or flying, which would you choose? Uh, I would probably pick flying. Um, I think being invisible doesn't help me because I'm so clumsy. And so I trip over things all the time. If I couldn't see my own two feet, I would probably run into the wall, right? And so that's me. Like, I would probably be a little bit better at flying. Um, I hope. I'd probably get seasick, airsick. I don't know. But flying is better than being invisible because I will definitely fall flat and hit my face on something if I'm invisible, for sure. Okay. What was the last gift you gave someone? 
what was the last gift I gave someone? Wow, that's a good question. Um, so um, I, okay, so this is going to sound a little bit boring. I apologize. Um, but one of the things that I recently did was um, there was a person um, who was relocating from Ukraine just due to uh, kind of all the things going on there. And so um, as they were looking to reskill for their job, they reached out and said, like, hey, Clement, you know, what resources do you recommend that I use? I'm more than happy to pay for them. And I said, just don't pay me. Like, I'm just going to gift you all of these because you're in a tough spot. And like, as much as, you know, I have bills that I need to pay, you're definitely in the harder situation, right? And so um, I gifted them kind of all of the different courses that I have. So that's kind of like, from a business perspective, um, in terms of a personal perspective, this answer is also equally odd. Uh, my brother recently moved into a new place. And so one of the things that is challenging is that that washing machine is quarter operated and he didn't have any quarters. And so I gifted him five quarters um, to be able to operate his washing machine. Uh, so that was the gift there. There you go. A serious answer and no, not so serious answer. That is a good housewarming gift. Thank you. Thank you for, for doing, doing, doing both. As practical as it gets. <laughs> All right, for the next uh, fast five sessions and Nishant runs that fast five sessions. So Nishant, over over to you. Okay, sounds good. Fasten your seatbelts. So uh, uh, the rule of the game is you have no time to think. Whatever comes the first in your mind. So Whatever comes, comes. Yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay. So what's your favorite food? Uh, sushi. Your favorite memory? My favorite memory is um, playing with my stuffed monkey uh, as a small kid. Yep. Wow. What is one thing you're most grateful for? Um, I'm most grateful for my parents. I know, boring answer. Um, but they taught me a lot. Like, they taught me a lot about being a good human being and about helping others. And I think without their guidance, I wouldn't have become a product manager for sure. Okay. Who is that one person you cannot live without? The one person I can't live without, um, this is kind of cheating. It's my wife, right? So, um, of course, right? Like we're married, right? So I can't live without her. She recently went on a business trip and man, those two weeks were very brutal. Right? It was basically just, what am I doing with my life? Or like, how is she doing? Et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, um, it's all about the wife, um, making sure that she's doing well. So yeah. All right. Final one. If you're not working, what are you doing? Oh, you're going to hate this answer. Um, I'm spending most of my time reading about product management. I know that sounds really, really sad. Outside of that, outside of that, like a more human response, um, I do play video games. Um, so one of the things I do play is um, League of Legends. Um, so it's like this like online game where you, you know, take down the enemy uh, towers, etc. Um, I am very bad at the game, right? So I am bronze. I play support and I die all the time. Uh, for me, I think a lot of the time, right? Like video games is where I go to be to suck at stuff on purpose, right? Just because I think a lot of life, right? Like is all about like, oh, like you got to be good at stuff, right? Like you have to like show that you're an expert, show that you're good, et cetera. And like, I just go into video games and I'm just purposely bad, right? And so my brother is a very, very good video gamer and he hates it when I play with him because I'm always <laughs> bad and I refuse to improve. Like I try to improve in every other aspect of my life, but video games. And so he's just like, brother, why do you not get better at aiming and shooting and just like management of stuff? I'm just like, I have enough going on. I'm playing this game for funsies. I refuse to get better. Um, so that, that's me. Well, we should connect. I play League a lot. I'm so bad. You don't want to play with me. I'm in bronze too. So yeah. Okay. 
you guys play video games <laughs> i'm not even there yet <laughs> all right okay thank you thank you so much clement thank you for taking out time from your busy schedule thank you for sharing with us so much i mean we learned we learned a lot to bit about you personally and also about your thought process around product leadership and everything but thank you for taking the podcast so seriously more than we took it so seriously and thank you for coming coming on the podcast and keeping keeping your commitment of like coming on the podcast and preparing preparing for it looking forward to keep the interaction ongoing and learn learn from you uh, and looking forward to your more articles and wishing a lot of lot of success to the product teacher um, initiative that that you have taken up Yeah, thanks so much. Like you guys are doing such a great job, right, in terms of, you know, gathering all of these insights about retention. It's something that's sorely needed. Um so yeah, keep up all of the fantastic work. Humble to be a part of the podcast. Um and looking forward to all the other folks that are going to be joining you on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you. There is one last question. So where can listeners find you online? Yeah, great question. Um so you can find out about product teacher at productteacher.com. So no spaces, no dashes, no nothing. Um if you're looking for me personally um you can always find me on LinkedIn Clement Cal that's going to be C L E M E N T last name K A O I'm pretty sure I'm the only one there so there there's that um and yeah like I'm always down to help people in terms of product management in terms of software products etc so don't hesitate to reach out and send me questions um that is how I get better at helping people is by answering people's questions um so don't hesitate to reach out thank you so much thank you I'd like to thank you for uh, being here for sharing your time and your knowledge and most of all for putting in so much efforts ensuring that what our listeners are getting is only the best i hope you enjoyed this conversation because we certainly did so now you have a task have a conversation with all your founder friends share the knowledge help them succeed i would really appreciate if you would share one takeaway from this episode And if there's someone you want to ask questions, tell us, and we'll bring that person on this podcast and pick their brains, asking questions you want answers to. And I'll see you in the next episode of SaaS Backstage Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation because we certainly did. So now you have a task: have a conversation with all your founder friends, share the knowledge, help them succeed. I would really appreciate if you would share one takeaway from this episode. And if there's someone you want to ask questions, tell us and we'll bring that person on this podcast and pick their brains asking questions you want answers to. And I'll see you in the next episode of SaaS Backstage Podcast.